Love starts here. I want us to take a look at love today and over the next few weeks. Um, while I was on vacation, I was thinking about things I could share and what God wanted me to share with you as the people of God here at First Baptist Lindale. I want us to talk about how we love one another and what that really means and what should it look like. Uh, the others are going to talk about our country a little bit, probably in July, and then probably go and talk about prayer some and share about the need for prayer in our church the days ahead. Well, so I want to talk about love starts here. We can never give love until we receive love first. Now, love's a word we throw around a lot, you know. Um, man, we, we, love, we, we, we love a lot of stuff. You know, I, and I, we, we say, man, I, I, you know, I, I, I love this restaurant. Man, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, we, you know, we kind of throw that out there. But that's not really what love's all about. The love that, that the Bible talks about and that God offers is greater than, than stuff that's self-gratifying or, or self-satisfying. It's actually self-sacrificial. And we can never give that kind of love until we receive love first. It's like that. 1 John 4.19 says this. Uh, John the Apostle is writing, and here's what he has to say in describing this verse. We can't love others. Here's what it says. John says, we love others, others, everyone around us, because he first loved us. What it says. Did you get that? Did you get that? We have the capacity, the ability, and the desire to love others because He first loved us. That's what it means. That's what it says. So simple, isn't it? Then why is it so hard? What makes it such a challenge? Well, that's pretty much our nature gets in the way. Our perspective, our philosophy. But here's what we love each other because He first loved us. And so what does that look like in real life? That we love others. And because we have been so greatly loved by God and His grace and His mercy. What does that look like? Jesus came to love people. From the very rebellious people to the very religious people. He came to love. Jesus came to love the person who is lost, who is lonely, who is empty, who is hurt. Even those who are invisible to society. Something incredible happens when he finds them. I love the graphics from the song you just heard. They were awesome because it's trust people are. That's real life. There's people that are thinking this way, feeling this way, overwhelmed with life as it is today. And they're looking for something that's going to pull them out, pull them up, and pull them over life as it is. So whether they're young or old, whether they're your age or my age or older, there's people who have this need to be genuinely loved. I mean richly loved, lavishly loved, extravagantly loved. 
We all need it. What does it look like when we have it? And when we have it, what does it look like when we give it away? Because you, if you have one, you have the capacity for the other. So I want to take you to one of my favorite stories. It's in Luke chapter 7. But here's the, here's the point I want to make. When grace is experienced, gratitude follows and love flows to God and others without limits. All of a sudden, there's this amazing capacity just to love, to meet need, to demonstrate care. Because that is what has happened in your life through the grace of God. When God's grace touches your life personally, something happens inside you that allows you to let look go of this same grace and love flows. Here's what Luke says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. He's known as Simon in another. So Simon is a Pharisee. He said, I want you to come have dinner with me. Then that was a big deal because Pharisees were very status-minded. They were very religious. They were very uh, ritual-oriented. And Jesus being a prophet and, and, and being who he was and teaching in the synagogue, Simon, I want you to come to my house. We're going to sit down and talk, and, and, and we're going to hang around together. And I want to hear what you got to say. I'm not really sold on you yet, but I want to hear what you got to say. And so he said, and so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, that sat down is kind of a strange picture because they didn't really sit down in that day. They reclined at a table. They pretty much would have the table laid out, and they would kind of rest on their elbows, and, and uh, their feet would be extended behind them. And they pretty much were in a reclining position. But So they, came, they, they reclined to eat, and, and they got comfortable, and, and, and the, the dinner was on its way. And things were pretty good. Simon was feeling pretty good about the fact it's probably been a well-thought-out uh, well plan to meet Jesus and talk with Jesus. And, and then something happened. Now, a lot of times when they had a, a dinner like this, it would be in a, a large open area, and people could come by and look in and see who was there, which was probably Simon thought would be great for his reputation to have Jesus at his table. But anyway, uh, something strange happened. When a certain immoral woman, and that's a pretty, pretty powerful word, and it's true. When a certain woman that basically a specific person, a real person, who was awful, she had a bad reputation. She was a woman of the streets. She was a prostitute. She, on the social level, was on the bottom level. No one would respect her. No one would value her at all. She was just a piece of furniture. In this culture, you've got to understand, men didn't even talk to women in public, let alone eat with them. And for this woman to enter into this place got everyone's attention. All of a sudden, Simon was somewhat embarrassed that she showed up while Jesus was at his table. She was immoral. Everybody knew of her, knew her reputation, and, had, and, and she was basically invisible to society. But this certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. She'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard the stories about how he had loved people, 
how he had healed people, how he had transformed lives. She had heard the stories. Perhaps she had seen from a distance some things he had done. And she didn't quite have the courage and didn't know what to, how to react to him because of her condition, because of her life. And so finally she heard he was meeting away from a crowd at a table with a Pharisee. And she mustered up enough courage to show up. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. The, bot- the, the, the box of perfume would be about a year's wages. That's a lot in a person's life. For the year they had worked, and this is what represented a year's worth of labor and sweat and all the stuff that goes with it, she brought it. Then she knelt behind him at his feet. Remember, he's reclining. She came and knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. All of a sudden, she comes like out of nowhere. Everybody's eating. Everybody's having a good time. She shows up, and the room gets tense. And she begins to cry uncontrollably, and her tears fell on his feet. That means she's right over his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Wow. She came to find love and forgiveness. She recognized who he was. She'd heard him talk and heard him share and God in his grace allowed her to see him for who he really was. He was the savior of the world, but more importantly, the savior for her life. He was the one who would make a difference in her existence and her future. And she came crying over his feet. When she touched his feet, Jesus did not reject her, which normally should have happened. He should have turned around and said, you get away from me. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Do not touch me. Oh, don't touch me. Because that just wasn't supposed to happen. And, and Simon's already thinking, if he knew who she was, if he's really a prophet and knew, man, he would know that she is bad news. She's a horrible person. She should never be touching him. Why is he letting her touch him and so but she touched his she touched him and he didn't reject her he did not embarrass her by saying what do you think you're doing woman don't you know who I am well she didn't know who he was and there came a moment in her life where for no telling how long she'd fought the fear of rejection and being dismissed from him she finally said I'm gonna take a chance I'm gonna come to him hoping he will not turn me away And he loved her. How do you know that he loved her, Pastor? Because he didn't reject her. He did not embarrass her. He did not humiliate her. He simply allowed her to touch him. It wasn't a sexual touch or seductive touch. It was a 
sensitive touch of need. With personal abandonment, she entered a place she was not welcome and let her hair down without approval and washed his feet and poured perfume on them. She washed his feet with her tears. She was overwhelmed with emotion of who he was. And he now, can you imagine that first moment when she reached out and touched his feet? And I'm sure she was waiting to be dismissed. She was waiting to be told to leave. Simon is in shock. He don't know what to say. And Jesus didn't say anything at all to dismiss her. And I believe when the moment she touched his feet, she began crying. Because for the first time in her life, she was accepted as a person of worth and having value. And she just began to cry emotionally that she wasn't sent away. And then... She dried his feet with her hair, which is humility, amazing humility, honoring him. Wow. She broke out the perfume and gratitude, and she changed the atmosphere of the room. What a story. Something amazing happened that day in her life. And because grace was experienced, gratitude flowed from her life. When was grace experienced? The moment God didn't turn her away. Let her touch him. And now she's so overwhelmed with adoration. She's just loving washing his feet and loving sitting at his feet and loving pouring perfume that represented a year's wages on her feet. When we realize how much God loves us, it should be so easy to love him back, ladies and gentlemen, young people, adults. It should be... The reason we came here today, hopefully, was to adore him. Maybe for some of you to find him. But the reason we came through those doors was hopefully to adore him. Because he has loved us greatly. His grace has been incredible in our lives. Like none other. And because we've experienced that, there's something that wants to show grace to others and love others without limit and say, I care about you. I want to see something happen in your life. I love you because I've been loved and I know what it's like. Too many times we're tempted to be like Simon. Simon had a problem. When grace is only examined, all that is left is the emptiness of religion and the frustration of not enjoying the ability to love God and others. Simon had a problem. He's sitting there, don't know how to love. Oh, he knows how to be religious. He knows how to do church. He don't know how to love. Well, a lot of people like that today. He knew how to be the person everyone expected as a Pharisee. He knew how to play the role to live up to the status. 
but he didn't know how to love. Say, so how do you know that, Pastor? Because he didn't love this woman. He was really, let's look at what happens in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. She's horrible. She's awful. She should not be here. She should not be touching him. She shouldn't be around my table. She shouldn't be around my house. She shouldn't be touching my guest. She's awful. Now, Simon learned something pretty quick about Jesus. He could read your mind. He wasn't expecting that. Now, and sometimes we aren't expecting either, are we? You know, he's thinking to himself, this guy's a fake. This guy ain't for real. And Jesus said, well, let me, let me show you something. Let me tell you, I know what you just thought. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love that. Jesus said, I know what you've been thinking. I guess what? He always knows what we've been thinking. Isn't that a scary thing? He said, look, I, I, I know what you've been thinking, Simon. I know what you've been thinking. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him his story. A man loaned uh, money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. Now, we understand the difference. That's a lot of difference. 500 is far greater than 50, right? That's a big difference. And, 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 but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly, meaning graciously, forgave them both, con- canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Who loved, okay, Simon, IQ quiz here. Who loved more? Well, that's an that's a, that's a easy answer. The one who was forgiven the most. The one who was forgiven of the 500 debt. Because that's a lot more debt than 50. You get 50, you go, I appreciate you doing that. That's great, man. I thank you for that. And we'll probably go on life and not worry about it. But 500 is huge. You go, look, man, that's so awesome. What can I, I, man, thank you. I'll always be in your debt. What can I ever do for you? You own me because you forgave me. And that's the thing he said. So which one really loved him more? After that, it's an interesting question, isn't it? See, Simon's examining grace. She's just receiving grace. She's at the feet of Jesus having a ball, man. Life is great. Her burden's been lifted. Her sins have been forgiven. And, and Jesus is going to affirm that in a minute. But she, she knows what's happened in her life. Simon's struggling. Nothing's happened in his life because he's too connected to religion. He's worried about rules and rituals, man. He's trying to, trying to work his way to heaven on his own. He's trying to be as good as he can. It ain't enough. And he's struggling with it. And he's now realizing that, gosh, I can't understand what's happening at my table and he said because I've forgiven her she is a sinner man she's horrible but I've forgiven her why you don't think you're bad at all actually he was just as bad he just didn't realize it she came to find love and forgiveness Simon valued his religious activity more than grace He had no capacity for affection toward Jesus. He didn't show Jesus any affection. Simon trusted religion more than Jesus. He just didn't get it. There's the contrast. I want you to look at this. The contrast of relationship with God and a religion about God is is, is obvious. Here's what Jesus says when it's all, he sums it up so well. He shows a contrast of what it's like to be a person of grace and a person who's not of grace. 
Verse 44 of Luke 6. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, which was a common courtesy he didn't show to Christ. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which would be a sign of affection and value. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. <laughs> I know her sins. Guess what? He knows your sins, too. He knows, my, he knows our sins. I know there are many have been forgiven. Have been forgiven, and the verb tense means I have forgiven her past, and it is all the way good into her present existence. Every day in the presence, she's going to know forgiveness. I've been forgiven, so she, so, she shown, so she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Your sins are forgiven. Past is done. Close the book on it. Erased, eradicated. And from now on, you'll live in a state of forgiveness because that's what grace is. And there's nothing greater than grace. Simon just didn't get it. He never moved from examining grace to experiencing it like so many today. Had a guy in my ministry... Uh, years ago, who was a great guy, he, he, he very successful in life, corporate pilot, uh, very religious man, very religious. He's very committed to his faith. He was, he was a very devout Catholic. Did the mass, tithe, and did all the things you're supposed to do. I got connected with his family through the youth and, and uh, ended up... Uh, Really, uh, both his daughter and his son trusted Christ, was saved, and, and uh, they started coming to our church, and, and so he started showing up, and then his wife eventually made a decision, and, and he's showing up and showing up, and we, we kind of talked with him, and uh, I realized he was going to have a, a sur- serious surgery, and so I went by the house because his, ki- his, his children, his, his, his youth, had asked him, would you go by and see my dad, and just... Just let him know you're praying for him. And I'll be glad to do that. Went by and knocked on the door, and, and uh, he kind of opened it very suspectly and suspiciously and didn't invite me in at first. And I said, I'm just come by to basically pray for you. I understand you're going to have a surgery, uh, pretty serious, and I just want to pray for you. So he let me in, still suspicious. And uh, I saw all I did was pray for him. Didn't take advantage of being in the door or in the house. I just said, hey, man, I'm here to pray for you. And I prayed that God would get him through the surgery and things would go well and, and uh, they would get all the cancer and it would be great. And, and so I left. Uh, when he was in the hospital, I went and visited him, checked on him. Uh, and then he started showing up at church real regular. And uh, he would take things in. And I'll never forget, one Sunday morning, he called me at 7 o'clock. 
in the morning on Sunday and said, I, I need to talk to you. I said, man, great. I'd love to talk to you. I mean, talk to you now. I said, okay, I'll meet you at the church. Take me about 15 minutes to get there. Uh, I'm good, man. And then, so uh, we met and we talked for a little bit. And he said, listen, I've been listening to your sermons about God's grace, about eternal life, about a place called hell. I've heard all these things you've been preaching over the last several weeks. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't sleep. I said, okay. He said, so I've gone, I've gone to, 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 to my priest and I asked him, would I go to heaven if I die? And his priest said, well, you're a good Catholic, so yeah, you're going to go to heaven when you die. He said, I need to know what you think. I said, well, let me tell you, my friend, I, I appreciate you coming and talking. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter if you're a good Catholic, good Episcopalian, good Presbyterian, good Baptist, good Methodist. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you know the grace of God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for your sin. That you have a relationship with him. Based on faith, not works, because that don't ever connect you to God. So the question for you is, have you entered that relationship with Christ? Then you go to heaven. He didn't answer. He left. He said, I'll think about it. So, okay, good. We started church. We was there. He slipped in. And during the invitation, I forget, he came forward and said, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to experience that grace. And I watched this man transform amazingly, become a great follower of Christ, and watched how he loved people and ministered to people because we love others because he first loved us. But you have to experience that. It's a personal relationship.